You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. How many of you have ever got yourself into a situation under a bit of pressure uh, and you really started to wonder whether or not you had what it took to get through the particular current crisis? Um, have you ever noted when you're under pressure how it can change the way you think and even the way you feel? Uh, you can sometimes think, oh no, I don't know that I'm going to have enough. I don't know that I've got the wherewithal, the capacity, the resource to see this current crisis, this current situation through to the end. And you get that nagging self-doubt. Uh, and maybe you've even had this, this kind of overwhelming sense of powerlessness that I'm just at the whim of what's going to happen here. I have no power, no control. I just don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Um, I'm going to define it as, as self-doubt. Pressure brings this on us. And, and pressure doesn't create it. Um, pressure uh, doesn't create fractures. What pressure does is reveal the fractures. So when you're under pressure and you start to feel like that, that's an indication that, there's, that there is a fracture, that there's something on the inside of me because I felt like that. Uh, I felt like that even this week, to be honest with you. Uh, and you start to get that overwhelming kind of sense of almost dread, may I say? You know, that, oh no, that's going to happen. How's this going to work out? And, and, and you, this, this self-doubt that can consume your heart really becomes a weightiness in your mind. Now, we talk... In, in the Christian church, a lot about the glory of God. And the glory of God, all that simply means is this. That simply means the weightiness of God. Now, let me give you an idea of how this works. You know if you believe in the weightiness, in the glory of God by this. Um, have you ever got up in the morning, you know, you get yourself dressed or whatever, and you're thinking, do I wear my blue jeans or my, my black jeans, you know, my red dress or my, my yellow dress or whatever? And you get a phone call, and it's a loved one. Uh, it's an emergency. And you just find out that somebody close to you is in an ambulance on the way to the hospital, and you're needed. Right then, you forget about blue jeans or brown jeans or you know, pink dress or whatever. You forget about what, you know, fussing over what you're going to put on. You don't even remember getting dressed. All you remember is, I've got to get to the hospital. And so you get in the car, you get to the hospital, and... and what happened was something weightier than the color of your jeans entered into your mind and it totally displaced what was in your mind. You totally forgot that you were wondering about what shoes you're gonna wear or whatever because something of greater substance entered into your thinking. That's the glory of God. No matter what you're thinking about, no matter where your mind is, God has greater substance. There is more significance to God. And so you know that you understand the glory of God because His substance fills your heart because there is nothing more substantial, no crisis, no disaster, no circumstance, no situation weightier than the glory of God. But what happens is we don't really believe that. right? We don't really understand the glory of God. And so we can... All of a sudden, get you know, when the pressure comes on, we can find ourselves over here full of doubt and fear and, and, and worry and, and the, these kind of things. And, and I want to take you to a story tonight. It's a really interesting little encounter between Jesus and 
his disciples. And Jesus almost pushes them into self-doubt. Now, he doesn't because he's revealing the self-doubt. He, he, he makes a, a statement that reveals their self-doubt. And then he takes them on a journey. He issues them some questions that take them on a journey from self-doubt to confidence, to faith. So if you've ever felt that sense of, oh no, how's this gonna work? If you've ever had that, that nagging sense of I'm not sure I have the ability to overcome, I'm not sure I have the wherewithal, I'm not sure I've got what it takes, I'm not sure I can, I can make this. If you've ever suffered from self-doubt, and you know, if you haven't, you know, I'm happy to tra- trade places with you because unfortunately I have. Uh, uh, it's, it's, this, is a, this is a really important, it's really interesting how Jesus takes them down this pathway by certain questions that he asks. So you might have to jot these questions down because these are not just questions he asked to these boys in a boat. He's actually asking you these questions. He's asking me these questions because he wants you and I to journey from self-doubt to faith and confidence to the weightiness of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So, um, so, so let's, let me just fill in the background a little bit then we'll... we'll, we'll, we'll drop into um, the encounter so the, the disciples have had a really heady time it's been quite um, uh, quite a powerful moment um, they were Jesus was teaching and there was thousands of people that he's teaching um, maybe over 10,000 uh, maybe close to 15 uh, that's over half the population of Jerusalem so Jerusalem's like the big capital city if you will right of, of, of Israel and there's you know they reckon the population of Jerusalem around that time was about 25,000 people um, you know, the world was a lot smaller than it is today. We're going back 2,000 years. So they get a crowd of 4,000 men plus women and children. So a crowd of maybe 12, 13, 14,000 people in one place is quite a significant happening. It just doesn't happen because there's no public mass transport, right? So they can't go to Suncorp to watch the state of origin and all hop on, you know, the trains just out the front to get us all home again. Um, that's an awful lot of people in a, in, a, in, a, in a city, uh, in a place where the population is only just twice that round about and, uh, and there's no mass means of feeding and transport and yet all these people come out to listen to Jesus teach and then he decides he needs to feed them and they only have a, a little lunch of just a few loaves and fishes and Jesus gives them to the, um, his disciples and says, now feed everybody, sit everybody down and feed 10 odd thousand people or more with just a few loaves and a few fish and so they get the loaves and the fish and they go to everybody they break it off and give a bit and break it off and give a bit and break it off and give a bit and to their amazement as they use um, the bread and as they use the fish the bread and the fish continue to remain the same they, they, they don't lose they continue to give but they don't have less I, I don't think personally they had more but they didn't have any less they continue to give and they didn't have any less. They continued to give and they didn't have any less until they fed over 10,000 people. What a dramatic moment. Uh, and then they took up some baskets in the end and they found there were still people they'd given out more food than people could eat and there was leftovers uh, at the moment, uh, at the end. And, and so what Jesus does with these, um, these disciples, he says, listen, you know, let's just have a bit of R and R. I've had a big day. <laughs> you know, I've been some pretty incredible teaching going on here. You know, you guys have been feeding, and yet you didn't know how you're going to do it. You held up under the pressure. Well done, well done. Let's go and have uh, some time on a boat. And so they hop on a boat and they get out on the Sea of Galilee. And there's a little interaction that happens that I want us to um, 
to, to drop in on, but suffice to say this, it's not unusual when you've been under a bit of pressure or when you've, you know, things have been happening to wind down to a place of self-doubt. You know, when, when the pressure, you know, when you're in a whole bunch of people or whatever and, and then all that's moved on, you start to get a little introspective, a little, little you know, uh, concerned about whether or not you, you're going to be able to repeat that, whether or not that's ever going to happen again and you, you can start to doubt yourself. Well, that's where these boys are because it says in Mark, um, Mark, who was a, uh, a mate of Peter and was, was keeping an account of what was going on for the sake of, uh, for the sake of records of, of uh, one of the disciples of Jesus by the name of Peter, we believe, um, says the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. So they've hopped in the boat, Jesus, let's hop in the boat, and they realize they don't have any food to eat, right? They've just fed 10,000 people or more, and now they have no food for themselves, it says the disciples had, except for one loaf that they had in the boat with them. Now, imagine what that loaf would be like. That boat's there in the, in the bottom of the boat, you know, probably with the life jackets and the flares and the compass, and, and there's this old loaf of bread, you know. If we ever get caught, right, if worse comes to worse, we eat this old moldy loaf of bread, I don't know. But, but they only had this one loaf of bread with them. And they're, and they're in the boat, and they're a bit concerned about that. But hey, they're with Jesus, and Jesus has just been, you know, dumping these pearls of wisdom in front of so many people that people just were, you know, coming out in droves to listen to him. And then Jesus fires up and he says this, watch out. He said, be careful, be careful. Imagine you're in a boat, you're sitting down there and, you, and all of a sudden Jesus says, be careful. You go, oh, well, where are we going? You know, we're about to hit a, a monster or something. You know, we're about to hit, hit a reef or something. What's going on? There'd be no whales, I imagine, on the Sea of Galilee. So what would be there? Be careful. Jesus warned them, watch out. And he says, what for? The yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. <laughs> that was like, what? We're just sort of cruising along here on the Galilee. Really nice day. And Jesus, you know, he all of a sudden, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. What, what, where, where? <laughs> and that of Herod. And he sits back down and they look at each other. What was that about? That was bizarre. Watch out for the yeast. And, and then, I don't know who said it, right? But one of them probably sparked first and said, because we don't have any bread, you know. You didn't bring the bread, did you, right? No, I didn't bring the bread. Oh man, he's not, he's, he's, he's upset. We, Jesus is upset because we don't have what it takes to feed them. You see what's going on? So the, Jesus has put the pressure on them. Now, he's, Jesus is a master communicator. I love what he's doing here, right? So he, he, he's got them thinking, oh, that's it. We, we, we're not good enough. We don't have what it takes, right? We, we, we didn't bring the bread. And, and so they're blaming themselves. It's, it's kind of like, you know, the boss calls you into his office. You go, oh, what have I done now? You know, <laughs> that's it. I'm a loser. I, I, haven't, I haven't been able to make the grade again. But of course, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about Herod's bakery. I'll tell you what he is talking about. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and it wasn't the way Herod or the Pharisees baked bread. He said that to have them feel they didn't have what it took, right? So he's put them into a position of self-doubt, a position that many of us, you and myself, arrive at. I don't have 
what it takes. The genius of this, my gosh, it just it, it floors me. This is just so intelligent. I don't know anybody else who could do this. Within the question that he asks that enacts the self-doubt, he gives the answer. Now, you might not have seen it, so I'll, I'll explain it to you a little bit. Um, what, what, is, what is this yeast? What is this ferret? What is the yeast of Herod and Pharisee? I'll tell you what it is. It's two ways of viewing the world, right? This is a perspective. There are two ways of viewing the world that are going to leave you with self-doubt. Jesus is trying to introduce them to a third way. Let me explain what the yeast of the, Herod, what the, yeast of the Pharisees and yeast of Herod is. Um, the mindset of Herod, let's start with that. That is the political mindset. That, that is the way um, this world is indeed shaped, right? You can believe in your Jesus or whatever you want to believe in, whatever religion you like, it's okay by me. Just don't bring your religion into the school, right? Don't bring your religion into, the, into politics. Don't bring your religion into the workplace, you can believe whatever you like to believe, right? We don't care. We just don't believe in a God that is interested and it is intervening into the affairs of man. We believe, and check with any politician and they'll tell you this. Herod was a politician. We believe that the answer to an unjust world that we live in is just policies. We have to believe the right policy. And for some, they believe it's capitalism. And for some, they believe it's, it's, it's socialism. Uh, and maybe some even still believe it's, it's uh, uh, some other kind of ism. A, uh, uh, but no matter what kind of ism that you try to describe, whatever kind of belief structure that you have, you know, we believe this policy is right, we believe that policy is right. Fundamentally, here's the issue. Right? The world has injustice because of those who are in authority. We need someone who is stronger to come and to write the wrong policies so that we can have a peaceful and a more sustainable and a more prosperous society. Um, now, if it's capitalism, if it's socialism, if it's some other kind of ism, it doesn't really matter. But we, we, when, if we, you believe what I believe, if you had the same perspective that I had, we would have a society of peace and of justice. And the problem is, we've got to change the policies. The problem is, we've got to change the ism that is now currently pervading our society. That's the issue. We've got to believe the right thing. That's the yeast of, the, of Herod. The yeast of the Pharisees, is different. It's a religious um, mindset. It's about holy sites and, and, and uh, sacred rites. It's about behavior modification. It's not so much believing the right ism as it is behaving the right way. So the, the yeast of Herod says you've got to believe the right, the right way. The yeast of the Pharisees is you've got to behave the right way. And so it's a matter here of, well, you can't eat that and you can't, you, know, you can't do this on that day and you can't do this on the other day. And if you want to belong to this religion, then this is the way you've got to behave, right? These are the top five behaviors or these are the 10 things you can't do. So don't do these 10 things and you can belong. Uh, it comes down to how you behave. So what we have here is believe right, behave right. Believe right, the yeast of Herod. Behave right, the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, 
Is it any wonder that either one of those two worldviews or mindsets leaves you with self-doubt? Think about it. If I've got to behave right, then how do I know I've behaved right enough? How do I know I'm good enough? I mean, I might compare myself to you and compare to you, I'm wonderful. You know? But how do I know I'm good enough for God? How do I know that, because the truth is, whilst I compare myself with you and I come up okay, the truth is, I don't keep my own laws, you know? I, I say to myself, I'm going to diet, you know, and I don't, don't keep it. I say to myself, I'm going to do this, and then I, I don't do it. You know, I, I, I say to myself, all kinds of things I'm going to do, and then I don't do them, and a whole bunch of things I'm never going to do again, and I do them. So I, I, don't, I don't think I, you know, I try to do the right thing. You know, I try to behave good enough, but I'm just not sure that my good is really Good enough. In fact, deep down inside, I know it's not. Because uh, I know there's a whole bunch of things that I, even myself, I want to do and I don't do. So is it any wonder that the yeast of the Pharisees leaves you insecure? <laughs> is it any wonder that the yeast of the Pharisees leaves you riddled with self-doubt? And then, of course, there's the yeast of Herod. There's the political mindset. How do I know I'm pursuing the right path? How do I know my ism is the right ism? How do I know that, that my mindset, what I believe in terms of how society should run is the correct and the proper, what if I'm wrong? Is it any wonder that the yeast, of the, uh, the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod leave you in self-doubt? And what I find so remarkable, just remarkable about Jesus' ability to communicate is that he makes the statement, you know, be careful of these two ways of thinking and that leaves them thinking in line with the very way that they think. What if we don't have enough? He's cranky with us because we didn't bring any bread. Do you see how he does that? I mean, who can think like that? I mean, who can communicate like that? He brings them to the very point that he's just warned them against. It is communication at the highest level this is the highest level of communication uh it just floors me i just i just read this stuff that jesus does i gotta tell you my 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 jury is on the ground jesus it says go on let's read this it says aware of their discussion of course he was aware of their discussion he initiated their discussion he knew what was going on and he asked them why are you talking about having no bread? So he's basically saying to them, why are you filled with self-doubt? Why are you so unsure that things are going to work out? Why, 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 are you so, why, why are you so insecure? Why are you so uncertain? Why are you so fearful? Wow. Why are you talking about having no bread? Still, he says, do you still not see or understand? And then he asked this really, really important question. Are you hard of heart? Here's the problem. Nobody ever acknowledges their heart of heart. <laughs> no one ever sees the hardness of their own heart. Are you hard of heart? Well, I didn't think so, but maybe. <laughs> what do you want about here, Jesus? I think I'm hard of heart. I didn't know I was hard of heart until just a minute ago. I mean, I just fed 4,000 people or I just fed 10,000 people or whatever, you know, their percentage was. 
You know, I just fed 1,200 people. I'm one of the 12 disciples or whatever it was. I, I, just, fed a, I just fed a whole bunch of people with, with half a loaf of bread and, and a little bit of fish. I mean, I'm pretty cool. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a rock star, really. <laughs> Maybe. I thought I was. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe I'm hard of heart. Wow. Let me tell you something about your heart. It's continually hardening. Everything that comes into your world, uh, into your life from this world will harden your heart. The, to keep a soft heart takes a distinct intention, right? To keep a soft heart takes a distinct intention. Your heart is going to naturally harden by the circumstances and the situation of your life. And the problem is you will not even realize it. You will not be able to diagnose it. You will just go on thinking, hey, everything, you know, I'm, I'm cool, I'm okay. You know, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying if that's what you're doing, if you're a Christian, you know, or you're doing whatever. You are getting a hardened heart every day. Jesus says, are your hearts hardened? Because you don't see and you don't seem to understand. Have you ever had, if you're a Christian in the room, I'm particularly talking to you. Have you ever had a financial problem? And, uh, and then you see, you see God, you've seen God come through on that. You know, you won't be able to pay the bills. How are we going to fix this? How are we going to rise to this challenge? And then one thing happens, another thing happens, some money turns up, and whoa, you know, you're able to, 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 to meet that challenge and, and rise above it. You go, wow, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And then you find yourself back in another financial problem. And this time, you've got that same sense of, uh, uh, of hopelessness, that same nagging sense of doubt. And you think to yourself, well, but hang on a minute. Last time, God came through for you why are you fearful this time? And you sort of think, well, maybe God was just lucky last time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, it just seemed to happen, you know, and I, I don't know if it can happen again. Oh, God's done it before. Maybe that's all the magical power he's got. I don't know. I know I've seen God come through for me before. I know I've seen his power before. But this time, it's a little bit more complicated than last time. This time, you know, the stakes are a little bit higher. So you're telling me that the God who has created literally over a billion trillion stars, that each one gives off the energy of an atomic bomb every second. This is the same God, right? That is a little bit, you know, just not quite up to the challenge that you've got right now. <laughs> I see, right, 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 right. Maybe it's a different God, I don't know. <laughs> Because the God we like to talk about is the God who has literally created a million trillion stars that give off the, en the energy of an atomic bomb every second, and God knows each one of them by name. This is the God that we serve. And yet, how, how easy is it for us? How much do we fall into the trap of doubting the outcome of our current dramatic set of circumstances you know once you've had an experience with God you would think once you'd fed 5,000 people with just a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish you think once you'd done that you'd be at a case where I'm never going to doubt again you know it's, it's never going to I'm never going to be the subject of of uh, self self uh, insecurity and self-doubt again uh, I've seen too much. But hey, these guys, they're normal people like you. They're normal people like me, and they're back in that situation again. 
And, and Jesus says this to them. This is, this is the crux of it, right? This is where the tension lies. This is what I'm wanting to bring you to. Verse 18. You might like to underline this in your Bible or do something because this is where he's taking them, right? He's pushed them into this self-doubt by creating the question around the two worldviews that there is. I've got to do right, I've got to think right. And both those two worldviews leave you with the self-doubt that he's actually dealing with in the story. And he says this, this is it, look at this, this is, this is amazing. He says, do you not have eyes, but you fail to see? Do you not have ears, but you fail to hear? And don't you remember? Let me just, let's just camp out on this for a bit because this is really important. I don't have eyes, what does that mean? That means you can't identify what God is doing. When you see something, you can identify it, right? If I see you, I can identify you. If I see something, I can identify what it is. So he says you are unable to identify what God is doing. Have you seen any? He makes a statement, have you not heard? Because have you ever heard something, but you were unable to identify it, but you knew it was there? Have you ever got to a point where you go, I'm not sure, but I think I heard I was asleep and I heard a noise. I knew somebody was there. I knew something was happening, but I couldn't identify it. So you could perceive it, but you couldn't identify it. What he's saying to these guys in the boat is that you're unable to identify. Okay, I understand that. Because many of us are like that. Many of us are unable to identify what God is doing right now in our life. I can assure you right now that God is up to something, but I wonder if you can identify it. Probably not. Probably not. So then he asks the next question. Can you hear it? In other words, can you perceive it? Do you know something's, do you know something's going on? Maybe you can't see it, you can't identify it, but you kind of, I heard something, I know it's there. I'm not sure, but no, I, no I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's something there. And then he brings us to... Um, Something that is, well, easier than the other two. And he asked the question, do you remember? Do you remember? He's doing something bigger here than challenging them to worship, right? He's doing something bigger than bringing them to, inspiring them to praise. He's looking to underline their history. He wants to bring out in their minds History that will then cause their lens, their ability to identify what's going on now. As a result of what God's done in your past, through that lens, think about what God is doing now. Here is, I want to suggest to you the point, then we're going to talk about it for a little minute and, and I'll send you home. So, so, so here's, here's the point. Here's the point. You might want to write this down. If you can't see what God is doing and if you can't perceive it, then remember what He's done because the remembrance will help you perceive and the perception will help you see. Did you get that? Hopefully you wrote that down. You don't want to forget that. If you don't know what God is doing right now, if you've got a hard heart, even though, you know what I'm saying? You don't even know you've got a hard heart. I'm not judging you because you've got a hard heart because everybody's heart gets hard. It's the natural progression. It's the natural inclination. So what's the remedy? How do you move against that so you can identify what God is doing so that you can perceive that God is up to something? It starts by remembering what he's done. If you can remember what he's done, you can perceive he's doing something and you can identify what it is. 
This is something far more profound going on here than just the whole idea of, well, God is so wonderful. Look what he's done. Let's just give him praise. This is more than just motivating them to a heart of, of acknowledging God. It's the same thing he uses, interestingly enough, if you want to have a, have a look at this sometime. But, you know, John the Baptist, who on the banks of the Jordan River said, hey, this is the Lamb of God right here. He's going to take away the sin of the world. This is the Messiah. This is the one. This is the, this is the person we've been waiting for. And John gets this incredible revelation. And then he baptizes Jesus. Now, cop this, right? He baptizes Jesus and he hears an audible voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he sees this bird, this dove, this Holy Spirit like a dove comes down and ascends on Jesus. He has had a divine encounter that, that, that most of us in this room could only dream about. Who in this room has, has ever heard a, a, a audible voice from heaven and then B, saw a physical manifestation of God? I don't know, I haven't. You know, it doesn't happen often, but it happened at the baptism of Jesus and it happened at the hand, if you will, of John the Baptist. Fast forward John's life a little bit, he finds himself in prison and he's self-doubting. He's doing, he's doing what we all do. We forget in the darkness what we heard in the light, right? We had this light experience. We go, yes, Jesus, yes, yes, yes. And then the pressure comes and it reveals the self-doubt. And so you got John, the Baptist, who had you know, an, an experience of light that you could almost, almost indescribable. It would have been almost indescribable to have been there and to have been John in that moment. And yet, he is in the same situation, in the prison. He's been arrested and he's in prison and he's facing you know, who knows what. He's probably gonna die. And he has the same nagging doubts. And he says to some of his disciples, his followers, he says, go and ask Jesus if he's the one. Well, maybe there's another one. You know what he's saying? This is what he's saying. Maybe I got it wrong. <laughs> I know what I said. I was there. I said, hey, the, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Wow. And it was you know, endorsed by signs and wonders for crying out loud. Heaven opens up. The Holy Spirit comes down. The voice is heard. But I'm not sure. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's somebody else. Go and check. I can't move. I'm here in prison. So they go and they find Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Again, Jesus doesn't, you know, sort of say, well, Tell John to, you know, buck up and stop, you know, stop that. Only believe. Tell John, only believe. Tell John, he, you know, he shouldn't be doubting. No, he says, you go back and you tell John what's happening, what you've seen. The, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, and so forth and so on. You go and you explain that to John. You give John some history, some things that are going on. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing that he's doing for these disciples here. And it's the same thing that he does for you and me. And that's this. If you're blind about what's going on right now and you cannot perceive what God is doing, at least try to start by remembering what has been done, right? If you can't see what God is doing and you cannot identify what he's up to, at least start to remember what he's done. 
This is not just some kind of, you know, uh, juicing up so that, come on, let's praise God. Come on, you can do it. Come on, come on. No, 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 no. There's something far deeper going on here. And even if you're here tonight and you say, well, he hasn't done much for me. You know, I haven't seen any miracles. I haven't seen much happen. Well, we've got to remember this was before the crucifixion and the resurrection. <laughs> One would have to imagine that if we were on this side of it, because listen, what, what, what does he say to them when, when this, he says, when I broke five loaves with the 5,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? 12, good. And when I broke seven loaves for the 4,000 plus women and children, how many basketfuls did you pick up? Seven. Do you still not understand? You see, I mean, firstly, this is incredibly divine mathematics here. Um, the larger crowd had the, the less, um, the less uh, food, <laughs> only by a bit, but still it was less. The larger crowd had less and had more left over. The smaller crowd had more and left, less left over. It's quite remarkable. I just thought that was interesting. Um, how the, the larger crowd had, had, a, had a smaller beginning, but a, even a, a greater leftover at the end. And the bigger the challenge, the greater the power. That's all I just drew out of that. They're right there. The, whatever your challenge is, the bigger the challenge, the greater the power. <laughs> whatever situation you're facing right now, you need to know that the bigger the challenge, the greater the power. And... Uh, and what Jesus is, is doing here is he's bringing, back, he's bringing you back to your story. And, and that's, I guess, what I'm trying to say to you tonight. His resurrection and his crucifixion is part of your story, just quietly. If you haven't thought, well, God hasn't done much to me. Hey, you've got to remember, folks, he came to this earth. He died a, a, a terrible, um, painful death upon a cross that he might save you from your sin. And one would think if it was on the other side of him actually doing this, maybe he would refer back to that. So don't, re, don't forget, I, I prophesied I would die and, write, uh, and then um, rise again, and I did. And I did it for you. I, I suffered the persecution of the cross for you. I died that horrific death for you, and now I've risen again. Don't forget, this is part of your story. Jesus' death and resurrection is part of your story. And what he's doing to these boys here in the boat, he's trying to remind them of the story, their story. This is your story. Remember, this happened in your story. Remember, this was the situation that there was people who didn't have the food, then they had the food, and, and, and then it happened again to people, and then you were used in that situation. He's reminding them of their story, and there's a really important reason for that, and it's this. Whatever your current crisis is, it's merely another chapter of your story that will speak to the power of God in your life. Your story will speak to the power of God in your life. And your current circumstance and your current situation is merely another chapter of that story. Sometimes we think, oh, that's it. I'm done. It's over. I'm finished. And we kind of think the story ends now. And we forget where we've been brought from and to. Even if you're not a Christian and you're here tonight, I believe that God brought you here. And the, the circumstances and the situation of your life that have happened, happened to get you here. Because God had a message that He loves you and He's writing a story from your life. There's a story being written. These boys in the boat, Peter, James, and John, had no idea that nearly, you know, 2,000 years later, you know, basically a large percentage of the Western civilization would be called Peter, James, and John, right? 
I can't remember a high school class that I was in when I was the only John. In fact, one, I think there was four of us. Uh, they had no idea that they would become so famous, right? So famous that some of the greatest buildings on planet Earth would be called after them. And, and literally hundreds of thousands of, of young men would be named in their honor. They had no idea. They just thought, we don't have any bread. <laughs> right? I mean, have you seen St. Peter's Basilica for crying out loud? Have you been to St. John's? You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're on this little boat thinking, we don't have any bread, not realizing that there's going to come a day when there'll be buildings on this planet that could not be valued, such is the magnitude and the, uh, and the magnificence of them, named after these boys in the boat. But their story hadn't been written yet. Hadn't been finished. It had started. It had started. What God is saying to them is this. I'm writing a story. And your life is, 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 the, is, is the content of the pages. And I've brought you here. Remember we did this? Remember we did that? Remember you saw this? And, and don't you know that one day we look back and remember this? And you're going to remember this moment when we were in the boat. And I, I scheduled when I yelled out, be careful! <laughs> and you thought, what? Are we about to hit a reef or something? Oh, no, be careful of the Pharisees living. And you had no idea what I was talking about. But I was reminding you the way you view the world. You've got to try to be right. And you've got to try to do right. Forgetting that I have done right. And you can rest in that. You see, you haven't got to try to be right. You haven't got to try to do right when Jesus has done right. And you can rest in that. See, your story, there's no periods, there's no full stops. There's no last page being shut. It's merely right now, probably just a comma. Or maybe if it's a, it's a full stop, it's just, there's a new paragraph about to start. Maybe a new chapter. But it's not over. It's not finished. You've got to think back. God hasn't brought you here to leave you here. God hasn't invested into your life. God hasn't caused all kinds of miraculous provision, all kinds of incredible circumstances that have brought you to this point just to say, well, that's my investment in them. Now I'm done. See you later. No, 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 no. You're carrying a divine investment. When Jesus died, he created for you a divine investment. And that investment in your life, God will look for a return on. And he's gonna bring a return on it. And he's gonna bring a return on it by the situations and the circumstances of your future. And your current crisis is merely just a footnote. It's merely just a transition between your future and your past. You don't need to feel insecure. You don't need to feel like, I'm not sure that I have it. You don't need to feel that sense of nagging self-doubt because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, right? Because, because greater is he that has brought me to this point than the one who's trying to destroy me in it. Therefore, I know that he who bought me, he will finish the work that he started. And I can be assured of that. And I know for certain 
that God is building something. He's building a greater sense of who I am. He's building a greater sense of leverage and, uh, and effective, effectiveness from my life by my current circumstances. When you can't see what God is doing, folks, and you can't perceive what he's up to, do what Jesus did for these boys and just start to remember. Start to think, wow, this is the sort of story this far. This is the story this far. I have no idea where the story turns next, but I know God's going to invest. God has invested and God is going to bring a return on his investment that I can't start to imagine. Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray together. Musicians want to join me. Father, Lord, I don't know the situation. I don't know the circumstances that are facing every individual in this room, but I do know this, that you've brought us all on a journey. And I do know that sometimes we arrive at points on that journey that fill us and flood us with self-doubt, insecurity, uh, that loss of certainty about our tomorrows. Lord, I pray in those moments that we'd be able to reflect. In those moments, Lord, we'd be able to consider, look back and, uh, and see your incredible hand that's brought us to this point. And on that basis, be assured that that hand hasn't finished yet. But that, fan, that hand is going to lead us home. Just where heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And just, I guess in a moment of reflection, just a moment just to stop. And just consider where we're at right now. What are the circumstances of my life right now? Where am I at right now? What's going on? What's been happening? What's my story? Where's my story up to? It's not finished yet. Your story's not finished yet. Some of you have just come through a really intense chapter. Some of you right now in the middle of an intense chapter. Maybe it's just been a quiet moment between chapters and the drama is about to start again. All I'm simply saying to you is that when you reflect on what's happened to this point, you don't need to feel insecure about where he's taking you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 